Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. As Eric mentioned in his prayer, the title of the message this morning is Characteristics of True Gospel Partnership. Characteristics of True Gospel Partnership. So you have a little bit of time. I'll I'll give you the big idea now. You know, they're always way too long. The big idea is this. The more we have the mind of Christ the more Christ-like characteristics will be produced by the Holy Spirit that empower gospel partnerships. Let me say that again. The more we have the mind of Christ, the more Christ-like characteristics will be produced by the Holy Spirit that empower gospel partnerships. If you've been following along, you know we've just talked about unity. We've been talking about um, even the mind of Christ. And that's really the context that we find this passage is in that, that context of having the mind of Christ, having this unity in Christ. And, uh, and so that's why the big idea says that as we have the mind of Christ, there will be change. As we begin to think more as Christ thinks, we will begin to show characteristics that Christ has. And uh, as I was thinking about these, this idea of partnering, we, obviously our theme for Philippians is, is partnering in the gospel. And I think that fits very well with this passage this morning as we look at um, these two individuals that, that Paul's going to give as examples. But when I think about partnership, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, partnership is always a very fickle thing. Um, I know it's hard for you to believe, but I am not necessarily and have not necessarily been a specimen of athleticism uh, in my life. Um, we, uh, we had the privilege in our life group of Luke uh, putting a, a message in our Facebook group um, with a picture of us when we were much younger um, and had all of our hair. And uh, we were playing an intramural basketball. We happened to be on the same team. Neither of us really remembered that until he found the picture. Uh, but he, we were on the same intramural basketball team. And just to give you an idea, this was about the height of all the boys except me. All right? So growing up, I was not, uh, I was not fast. I did not have any special skills. I was not the first person to be picked when you were picking up uh, a basketball game. I was typically the last person to be picked. I was the one that was on the losing team because they, were, they, were, they had me. Uh, I was the leftover. So, um, but when you're picking teams, what are you looking for? You're looking for the right skill set that's going to help you succeed, right? When you're picking that, that basketball team or that football team, whatever it is that you're, that you're doing, you're, you're looking for a particular set of skills, Right? You're looking for something that's going to help you overcome the other team, whether that be speed or agility or dribbling or anything else I didn't have. Right, So you're looking for, all, for these very specific characteristics. And as we think about this concept of partnering together in the gospel, I think that there are characteristics that, first of all, we should be looking for in other people to partner with, And also, I think that Christ is developing in us through the Holy Spirit, as we have his mind, we will be developing these characteristics, these these qualities that will help empower, not a basketball team, but a gospel team. It will help empower us to partner together for the work of the ministry, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and as Paul is, is kind of shifting gears a little bit in this passage, he, he seems to kind of be moving more towards um, telling them of some travel plans that he's making. But even in the midst of this kind of change in, in direction and, and thought process, we see him giving out kind of a, a resume of sorts of these two men that he's going to be sending to the church of Philippi. He's going to be sending Timothy and he's going to be sending Epaphroditus. And so he's, as he's telling them that he's hoping to do these things, he's giving them a resume of both of these men. He's giving them character qualities 
that make them good partners with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want you to, to see these different character qualities. Now, um, there are a lot of them, um, and, and we'll try to go pretty quickly this morning. We won't get all, through, all of them today. Uh, we will go next week. We'll, look at, we'll try to get through Timothy this morning and look at Epaphroditus tomorrow. But, but as I was reading through this, I, I see not, even, not just those two that Paul is talking about, but I also see characteristics in Paul as well that I want to point out as we go through this. So Paul is making plans to, to send Timothy, and he's making plans to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And as he's doing so, he's giving these characteristics. And the first characteristic that I see is actually about Paul and how he's making these plans. All right, so the first characteristic is this. A true gospel partner plans submissively and hopefully. A true gospel partner plans submissively and hopefully. Let's take a look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. If you jump down to verse 23, he kind of has a very similar theme and we'll kind of combine that with this point here. He says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it, go, how it will go with me and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul is making plans that will encourage others and further the gospel. He's making plans that are going to, to ensure that others are encouraged, including himself, and that are going to make sure that the gospel is moving forward there in the church at Philippi. He's not just sitting around in his house under arrest doing nothing. Um, he's not just hoping that everything will work out for the Philippians. Um, he's not just worrying about his own fate. You notice there he says, you know, I'll, I'll send him as soon as I figure out what's going on with me. But that's not a, a sign of worry. That's a sign of submission and hope. That's what Paul is doing here. He's making plans to further the gospel and encourage the saints at Philippi. And this letter is his encouragement to them. If you remember earlier in chapter one, we saw that he was wanting to encourage them that the gospel was still going forth. Even though he was there in, in lockdown in this house, he was in prison, so to speak. He couldn't, didn't have the freedom that he normally enjoyed that the gospel was still going forth. And, th and this is very much a book, very much a letter of encouragement to the people at Philippi. And he's seeking to do that even more by sending these two men. A gospel partner is someone who makes plans and pursues them. If you notice, the, the point here was that a, a true gospel partner plans submissively and hopefully. The first word there is plans. The first word is plans. A, true, a gospel partner is somebody who makes plans and pursues them. He's not just sitting around doing nothing. How often is it that we, we hope that God does great things through the gospel, but yet we don't make any plans to be involved? Do you ever think about that? We hope that God does a great work, even as, as Eric prayed in, in the city of Liberty and the cities surrounding us, but we just come to church and sit in our chairs every week and pray that God does something. Paul wasn't, wasn't a guy that was just going to sit around. Paul was making plans. He was moving forward. He, he knew the things that God desired, and so he was making plans. But as he's making plans, we see this phrase a couple of times in those verses that we read, and that is, in the Lord. Did you notice that? He's making plans in the Lord. Now, what does this phrase mean? What is it referring to? Obviously, there's, there's an idea that, that it's doing something in the power of the Lord, right? So I, I'm going to do something with the Lord's help. We, we think of this in, in one of the parents' favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. We can all quote it, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, right? We don't expect children to just be able to obey on their own in their sinful flesh, right? It is, it is the work of the Lord working through them to help them learn and grow and obey. So that is certainly one option as to what he means by in the Lord. And for sure, he is trusting God's power to, 
to do the thing that he's wanting. He's trusting God's power to protect the messengers as they go. He's, he's trusting God's power to protect the message as it goes. He's trusting God's power even to deliver himself. As, as we see there, he's, he's hopeful to be able to come and see them as well later on. But there's also an idea here or an aspect here that I'm doing something under submission to God's direction. When he says, I hope in the Lord, yes, he's saying, I hope that these things happen with the power of the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but I also do that in submission to God's direction. This has the idea of holding our own plans with a very loose grip. How often do we get frustrated and angry when even the good things that we have planned don't turn out the way that we want them to? You say, well, you said to make plans, David, so I made plans and it didn't work out. Well, are we making plans submissively? Are we making plans saying, Lord, this is what I plan to do. This is what I believe you want me to do. But, and if it's your will, let it come to pass. But if not, that's okay. If not, that's okay. That's the attitude that Paul has here as he, as he says, I, I hope that, that I can do this in the Lord, that I'll be able to send this Send these men to you in the Lord. This attitude says, Lord, if it's your will, this is what I plan to do. Not long ago, we were in the book of James. Chapter four, verses 13 through 16 says this, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are missed that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. A true partner in the gospel surrenders their plans to God's will and God's timing. But not only is he planning submissively, but he's planning hopefully. Do you, get the, do you get the idea that Paul is excited in what he's saying? He's not sitting here like, well, guys, I guess I got to send somebody to you. I know it's going to be, it's going to be real hard on me, but no, he, he's sending this with hope. In fact, what does he say there when, he, when he's talking about Timothy? He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He's excited. He's energized by this prospect of being able to send someone to get a good report and have them come back and, and give that report and hear that God is working and moving there in the church of Philippi. He's excited. He's looking forward. He's hopeful. He plans with surrendered submission to what God's will is, but also with hope of what God is going to do. Is that how we plan? Are we excited about the gospel opportunities that are presented to us? Or is it just a duty that we have to participate in? Is it just something that we feel like, well, I'm a, I want to be a good Christian, so I got to do this. That wasn't Paul's perspective at all. He was, he was making plans under the submission to God, but he was hopeful that God was going to be doing something great through those plans. Are you anxious to be an encouragement to other believers? By that, I don't mean worried. Paul uses the word worried later on. Are you eager? Are you eager to interact with other people in their lives, in the lives of believers to encourage them? Are you eager to see the gospel go forth around you? And are you making plans to do so? Or are you just sitting idly by hoping that God does something potentially even without you? How often do we pray that God would use us to do such and such? That God would use us to spread the gospel to our neighbors, but yet we never talk to our neighbors. We never plan to have a barbecue with our neighbors. We, uh, we pray that God will open doors with our, with our coworkers, but yet we never talk to our coworkers unless it's about the chiefs. Nobody cares about the royals. 
But we, we don't take opportunities. We don't look for opportunities. We don't plan opportunities to partner together in the gospel. A true gospel partner plans submissively and hopefully. Yes, God may choose to change our plans. Maybe our idea isn't exactly what his will is, but the question is, are we doing anything? Are we planning anything? Are we pursuing anything? And if we are, are we holding it with open hands? Are we doing so hopefully? Hopeful of what God is going to do. So this first example that we'll be talking about this morning is the example of Timothy. And we see that Paul spends a good deal of time talking about Timothy and, and, and explaining to the, uh, the church at Philippi why he's sending Timothy. And we see here in, in, chapter 20, in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I want to just focus on that first phrase there, which uh, Andy was mentioning earlier. For I have no one like him. I have no one like him. There's other translations use the phrase, uh, I have no one else of kindred spirit. Um, that is the, uh, the NSB translation. And I think... Uh, the KJV is the same one. I have no one else of, of kindred spirit. There's, there's this idea here that Paul is trying to get across that Timothy is unique. He's unique. Of all the people that are around him, Timothy's not the only one there, but of all the people that are around him, that are helping him, he says, this is the guy that I want to send. Why? Because he's unique. Because there's no one else that will have the same care and the same love for you as Timothy will. I think there's, there's kind of two ways that you could look at that. Uh, when he says, I have no one else that's, that's like him or no one else of, a, of the kindred spirit, of the same spirit. Has the idea of a, of a one spirit. He's, I think he could, you could look at it as if Timothy is one of the only ones, if not the only one there, who has the same love that Paul has for them. Maybe that's what he's talking about there. There's nobody else that has the same love that I have for you. So I'm going to send Timothy because I know that he loves you like I love you. And then it could just be a comparison between, between Timothy and others that are there saying, look, Timothy's got the most love for you guys. He has the most compassion for you guys. No one else equals Timothy in this area of compassion. And so we come to this second characteristic that a true gospel partner possesses genuine spiritual concern. A true gospel partner possesses genuine spiritual concern. He says in verse 24, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That Greek word for genuinely is genesios. It means sincerely or truly. Has the idea of an open and genuine manner without any pretense. Without any pretense. Timothy was unique in that he had a genuine spiritual concern for the people at Philippi. It was pure. It was biblical. It was godly. There was no pretense there. There was no selfishness in it. There wasn't, he, he wasn't desiring to go there so that he could make a name for himself in the church of Philippi. He had genuine love and concern for the welfare of the people in the church of Philippi. But what is this word welfare talking about? Obviously, you know, in our physical minds, we think of well-being, right? We think about Paul especially. He's, he's there in prison, and, and they've just sent a gift to him to help with his welfare, right? To help take care of his physical needs. So surely, obviously, he's, he's considering their physical welfare as well. But more importantly, he's concerned with their spiritual welfare, he knows that Timothy is going to be concerned about the spiritual needs of the people at Philippi. We'll, we'll come back to this here in a second, but the next verse says, uh, in verse 21, it says, for they all, speaking of others, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I think that tells us what kind of welfare Paul's referring to. 
He's talking about the welfare, the spiritual welfare of the church of Philippi. And he says, I have no one else who is concerned, as concerned as Timothy is, for your welfare, for you to grow spiritually. So Timothy is a rare person who genuinely cares about the spiritual welfare of others. Paul knew that. And he knew that Timothy wasn't going to just bring back a ho-hum report. He knew if he sent Timothy that he would, he would not just give a report, you know, find out how they're doing and come back. He would, he would engage with them while he was there. He knew that Timothy would encourage them. He knew that Timothy would admonish them. He knew that he would seek to help them grow in their walk with Christ. That was the genuine concern that Timothy had for the people, for the church at Philippi. And, and I would assume probably for many others as well. But I ask, what about you? A true gospel partner possesses genuine spiritual concern for others. What about you? Are you concerned about the spiritual growth of those around you? Parents, maybe, maybe this is a little bit of easier for you when it comes to your children. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, I'm concerned about the spiritual growth of my children. I want them to, to know Christ. I want them to love Christ. I want to the, them to grow in their knowledge of him and their love for him and their fellowship of him. But maybe outside your family, do you genuinely care? Do you, are you genuinely concerned about others in the body, in this body, in their spiritual growth? Do you ever think about how someone else in this body is growing spiritually? Maybe what their struggles are? Do you ever ask? Do you ever seek to find out how someone's doing? Are you concerned enough to follow up when you say you'll pray with somebody or pray for somebody? Or is it just the Christian thing to do? Well, I told them I would pray for them, so I prayed for them. Spiritual concern says, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to pray enough that it sticks in my head so that when I see them again, I'm going to ask. I know we're busy. But if we're going to partner together in the gospel, we have to be people who are actually concerned about the gospel. Not just the gospel being spread out to the world, but the gospel and how it impacts our lives as believers. Do you just like hanging out with your church friends? Or do you get together because you're excited to hear what God is doing in their life? A true gospel partner possesses genuine spiritual concern for others. Thirdly, a true gospel partner pursues Christ's interests. We've already seen this phrase, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That should sound uh, pretty familiar, right? This, this concept should sound pretty familiar. We've, we've heard these things from Paul already. Earlier in, in chapter one, we, we've seen those who were actually preaching the gospel, seeking their own gain, seeking their own uh, pleasure, seeking their own monetary advance, and they were doing so even in many ways to try to harm or hurt Paul. To make him feel bad in some way. And so we've seen that this is not how we are supposed to be. In chapter 2, he's been pointing out that, that we're not supposed to follow our own desires. We should be humble. We should be submissive to one another. We should be unified. Seeking to, to know one another and seeking to meet the needs of one another. We are to have the mind of Christ, which is a mind of humility. And here again, this theme of selflessness and unity continues. Timothy is unique in that he is focused not on what will make him happy. Did you hear that? Timothy is unique because he's not focused on what's going to make him happy as a minister of Jesus Christ. He's not focused on what's going to be best for his 401k or for his beauty sleep. He's not focused on how he can make a name for himself. He is focused on the interests of Christ. He's focused on the interests of Christ. So what are these interests? I'm sure we could spend a lot of time going through scripture and developing that theme a lot more, but I just have three interests uh, for you this morning. 
The first two come from Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. How do we know this is Christ's interest? Because it's Christ's command. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The first interest of Christ is a gospel witness. Timothy had as his focus the interest of Christ. Timothy's focus was on the gospel witness, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only a gospel witness, but his focus was on the interest of Christ in discipleship. What's verse 20 say? It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's discipleship. We share the gospel. They believe the gospel. They become disciples. They become followers of Christ. And then we teach them everything that Christ has commanded. So Christ's interests are in the spread of the gospel and the discipleship of believers. The spread of the gospel and discipleship of believers. And then one more that we've heard many times over the last few weeks, and that is unity in the body. Even in the context of this passage, we know that unity is one of Christ's desires for his church. John 17, verses 20 through 21, you can probably, remember, you could probably quote it for us. By this point, we've gone there so many times. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He wasn't just talking about the disciples, folks. He's talking about us. Those who believe in their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, these are just a few of Christ's desires for us, but are they not potentially some of the most important? These are the things that Timothy was focused on. These were the desires of Christ, the interests of Christ that Timothy was pursuing instead of pursuing the things that he desired. What does it look like to seek our own interests? That's a good A and I time question, but I'm gonna give you some answers. What does it look like to seek our own interests? Maybe pursuing none of the things above. Not pursuing gospel witness, not pursuing discipleship, not pursuing unity. It's one way to be selfish, to pursue our own interests. It looks like pursuing those things only when I feel like it. It looks like pursuing those things only when I have time in my schedule. It looks like pursuing those things only when I feel guilty because somebody pointed out that I'm not pursuing those things. But what does it look like to put Christ's interest first? It looks like looking for and planning for gospel opportunities. It looks like pursuing one another in discipleship. It looks like seeking unity through liberty in the body. Timothy was an example of one who pursues the interest of Christ. A true gospel partner pursues, pursues Christ's interests for themselves and for others. Next, a true gospel partner proves faithful through testing. A true gospel partner proves faithful through testing. Verse 22 says this, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I want to just focus on that first phrase here, but you know Timothy's proven worth, his proven worth. How in the world would the church at Philippi know Timothy's proven worth? This is the only letter that we have of Paul sending, them to, sending to them. Potentially, you could have talked about Timothy before, but how do we know? Well, if you know the book of Acts, you know that they've met Timothy. They know who Timothy is. In fact, uh, we see Timothy in Acts chapter 16, where Paul meets him and, and begins to take him. In verses one through three, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, 
A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him, and because of the Jews, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we see Paul meeting Timothy here in Acts 16, and Paul desires to take Timothy with him. So Timothy's going with Paul in Acts chapter 16. Guess where we meet the Philippians? Acts chapter 16. Verse 11 says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and then in the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And if you continue reading on, you're going to see everything that happened with Lydia, with the, excuse me, with the, the girl with the demon, with the, Paul and Silas being put in the prison, the Philippian jailer, and all, all that context. Guess who was there? Timothy. Timothy was there. He was with Paul when they went to Philippi. And, and as someone who was there with Paul, he was with these Christians when they became believers. He was there from, from the instigation of their faith. He knew them intimately. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Timothy had such a great, genuine love for them that no other could equal. Because he knew them. He loved them. They were special to him. There are others that have traveled with Paul and even met persecution as Timothy did. We don't see that Timothy was in jail with Paul and Silas, but, but surely he was, I'm sure it was a little frightening. I mean, here, here he has left home and he's with this great apostle Paul and now him and Silas are in jail. And I'm sure, you know, there, there had to be some concern. He, he's, he's going through the fire. He may not have been in the jail, with them, but he's, he's certainly going through the tribulation. He's certainly going through the fire with them in some sense. And yet, what does he do? We see him continuing on as a faithful partner with Paul. I think of John Mark in Acts 13, verse 4, probably one that's very familiar with you. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Um, and this is, uh, this is talking about John Mark is, is with them. And uh, I think I put the wrong verse there. <laughs> oh, well, but um, it says that, that John is with them. He's one of the people that are going with Paul and Barnabas. And we don't know why John left. The Bible doesn't give us a clear indication, indication of why uh, John left. But I think it's reasonable to assume that John left because of persecution. Why is that? Just a few verses down in Acts 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Well, what happened between verses 4 and verse 13? Persecution. Persecution happened. There was an uprising where they were. And here we read that after this uprising, somebody's not sticking with it. He's going back to Jerusalem. And we know that this actually caused a split between Paul and Barnabas. And, and uh, Paul is not able to trust John Mark anymore because he was unwilling to stick it out. Because he couldn't handle the pressure of persecution. And we know that they split because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, wanted to give him another chance. And, and Paul said, I can't trust him. I can't trust him to go on this journey. Another one that you find in scripture is a man by the name of Demas. He was another companion of Paul and, and he was actually a, follow, a fellow traveler with Paul for a long time. Uh, we see him in, in many places in, in scripture talking about him being with Paul and traveling with Paul and working with Paul. So these are, this is not a man who was somebody that you would look at and say, oh yeah, obviously he walked away. Right? This is a guy that was actively involved in what was going on. He was a supporter of Paul. But we have uh, two, two passages in Philemon and Colossians that mention him. Epaphras, Philemon 23 and 24 says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aris, there's John Mark, by the way, and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. 
Colossians 4 verses 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So Demas was there um, with him. In fact, Philemon and Colossians were most likely written at the same time as Philippians. So Demas is most likely there in Rome along with Timothy, along with Epaphroditus. There with Paul, probably trying to help him out with the things that need to get done. Yet even with so much time spent with Paul, as we think of this great disciple maker, Paul, so much time Demas spent with him, what do we read in 2 Timothy 4.10? We read that for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Now those last two, we don't see anything negative about. But we see something negative about Demas. In love with this present world, Testing is not fun. It's often filled with pain. It's often filled with loss and with struggle. But it is testing that proves where our loyalty lies. It's testing that proves where our loyalty lies. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have the qualifications of elders and deacons. And when you read through those qualifications, you see there is a requirement that these men be tried and tested, that they be proven to be faithful men. In fact, when you read about the deacons, there's actually a phrase in there that says, um, let them first be tested, then let them serve. So deacons have it harder than elders do. No, I'm just kidding. But there's this idea that we want faithful men in these leadership positions who have been tested, who have been proven faithful. And Timothy was a man who had been proven faithful through the crucible of testing. It is the crucible of testing. It is in the crucible of testing that our true motives and desires are revealed. Think of Demas and love with this present world. Let me ask you this morning, when you think about being proved faithful through testing, have you failed the test? Do you examine your life this morning and say, you know what? I failed. I didn't make it through. I want to encourage you just a little bit this morning. Whether you're struggling to be faithful in the midst of hardship, whether you're finding it too easy to pursue your own desires or whether you feel like you failed and there's nothing more that you can do. There's still hope. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 says this. This is one of, if not the last books that Paul wrote. As he's writing about the end of his life to Timothy, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's John Mark. He is very useful to me for ministry. You think Barnabas had an effect? We don't read anything in Acts about Barnabas and, and John Mark. But obviously, God got a hold of John Mark's heart. God changed him and made him a companion in the gospel of Jesus Christ that was trustworthy. And you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, man, I've really failed. It doesn't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay in a state of failure because God can use you and change you and make you into someone who is useful for ministry. A true gospel partner proves faithful through testing. A true gospel partner promotes others' ministry. I'll try to go quickly through this. Again, this, this same verse, but you know Timothy's proven worth, worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me. How as a son with a father, he has served with me. Now this word promote, I needed a P because I was using P's for all the beginnings of these phrases. I don't mean that Timothy was standing on the street corner being like, come see Paul. You know, that's, that's not what I mean by promoting his ministry. What I mean is, is that he was supportive of his ministry. He was willing to be in a support role in ministry. He was willing to support what God was doing through Paul and not seek after his own ministry. 
not try to make a name for himself. We see early on that Paul is, is telling Timothy there to stay in Berea after Philippi. They're in Berea, and Paul actually leaves there again because of an uprising. Paul leaves, and he tells Silas and Timothy to stay there in Berea. He trusted them to continue with the people who were new converts there in Berea. And, and Paul, over the years, sends Timothy to many different places. Obviously, we know that Timothy is here with him at the beginning of this book. He says, Paul and Timothy you know, he says, he's mentioning Timothy even at the very beginning that, and again, I don't think that's a coincidence knowing that Timothy was there when the Philippians were saved, when their church was started. I mean, it makes sense that he would include Timothy in this greeting. So we know that Timothy's there while Paul's in prison. He's helping Paul. He's, he's being a benefit to Paul. But Paul even sent him to many places, just like he sent other people. In Acts 19.22, we see that he sent him back to Macedonia, probably potentially Philippi as well. 1 Corinthians 4.17, we see that he was sent to Corinth. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2, we see that he was sent to Thessalonica. We also know that later in life, uh, through church history, we know that, that uh, Timothy ended up in Ephesus. I don't know if Paul sent him there. I don't think we have anything in Scripture that says that he did. But we see that Timothy was willing to kind of be Paul's gopher, Here's a man who has, who has proven himself faithful. It's a guy that Paul is sending to Philippi and he says, look, I've got no one else like him as far as care and concern for you. This is, this is the man. <laughs> but yet Timothy is willing to place himself under the leadership of Paul, under the ministry of Paul. Timothy, though obviously a man of godly character, whom Paul trusted as willing to submit, was willing to submit himself to Paul's direction in ministry. He was content. He was content to be where God had placed him under the direction of others. How often do we take good things like ministry, the things that we do for Christ, and turn them into things that we have to hold on to, things that we have to possess. Maybe it's a position in church that we desire, but God hasn't seen fit to put us in that position. Maybe it's some ancillary ministry that we think is important, but draws us away from fellowship with the body God has brought us to. Maybe it's a ministry that you desire to add to the church here at LHBC, but elders haven't instituted it yet. Maybe it's something you've been doing forever and you're not willing to give it up either to someone else or because leadership's going in a different direction. How tightly we often hold to our ministry. Timothy didn't hold to his ministry. He held to Christ's ministry. He understood that his role at this time was to minister under, under Paul. This is Christ's church. It's Christ's bride. And it's Christ's ministry. Everything that we do here is not my ministry. It's not Eric's ministry. It's not Andy's ministry, except for the music. I'm just kidding. We, we don't have a grip on this because it's not ours, it's Christ's. Is there something that you are hanging on to that is your ministry? Or are you willing to submit to the direction of other spiritual leaders? A true gospel partner promotes others' ministries. Very quickly, lastly, a true gospel partner participates in gospel pursuits. Verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He has served with me in the gospel. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we've sort of covered it a little bit already, but I think we should note that Paul's statement of Timothy's worth was not complete without this phrase. Do you notice that? 
Paul's statement of Timothy's worth, his proven value, was not complete without this phrase, with me in the gospel. Yes, he had proven himself faithful in testing. Yes, he was willing to put other leaders, others' leadership and ministry before his own desires and, and even his own abilities. But more importantly, his commendation was around his faithfulness to the gospel and its advance. Paul was commending Timothy because he was involved in gospel pursuits. Do we just talk about the importance of the gospel or are we actively pursuing opportunities to share the good news that Jesus saves to others? Church, there's a world out there who needs Christ. There's a world out there who is at war with Christ. There's a world out there who are pursuing everything but Christ. They're dead in their sin, powerless to please a holy and righteous God. And we have the answer. We have the good news of Jesus Christ that can bring them back from enemies to in a right relationship with God that can take them from those who are at enmity with him to those who are his chosen precious child. And we do nothing. Timothy was a person who was involved in gospel pursuits. It didn't matter whether it was his idea, it didn't matter whether it was Paul's idea, it was the gospel. And he was going to be part of it. I wonder how often we have those same thoughts. Is the gospel precious to you? Say, oh yeah, of course it's precious to me. I'm so, I'm so grateful that God would love me enough to send Jesus Christ to die for my sins and I, I don't deserve it. It's absolutely precious to me. If it's so precious, is it precious enough to tell somebody else about it? We'll talk about lots of things, won't we? We'll talk about what our kids are doing. Talk about that car that we just bought, new house. But how often do we talk about the most precious thing we have? It sounds simple, but unfortunately is so often overlooked. A true gospel partner participates in gospel pursuits. All of these characteristics that we talked about so far are centered around what Paul has been calling the Philippians to in this chapter, and that is having the mind of Christ. And because when we have the mind of Christ, Christ working through us through the Holy Spirit will produce these characteristics because having the mind of Christ means we will care about the things of Christ. We will care about the spread of the gospel. We will care about the discipleship of one another here in the body. And we will care about unity and love that shows the world that Jesus is real. And I ask you this morning, as you look at these characteristics, could you say that you are a true gospel partner? Could you say, yeah, I, I, I'm doing these things. I'm a true gospel partner. Or do you have to admit that maybe there's some areas that you need to grow? Maybe there's some things that have sprung up in the world that, that are choking away the desires of Christ. Maybe there's some pruning that needs to be done. If we are going to fulfill this idea that we have from the book of Philippians of partnering together in the gospel, we have to be people who have these characteristics because these characteristics will empower gospel ministry. Are you a true gospel partner this morning? Next week, we'll take a look at four or five more characteristics of true, I haven't decided yet whether it's four or five. We'll look at Epaphroditus. 
And then one more for sure from Paul. But as we go this morning, as we go to A&I time this morning, I want you to think about, are you a true gospel partner? And if not, why not? What is it that's holding you back from becoming a gospel partner that can really be effective? As Paul said of John Mark, someone who was, who was helpful to him in the ministry. Are you helpful to others in the ministry? Are you a true gospel partner? Father, we thank you for Christ and for his perfect example, but Lord, we thank you also for these men, these human examples who, who were not perfect, Lord, who, who we know made mistakes. We know that they, they were sinners. Paul even tells us in Romans that, that the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things that he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing. Lord, we, we know that these were fallible men, but yet you have given us through their example, through you working in them, you have given us an example of what it looks like to partner together with one another in gospel pursuit. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us, first of all, to have the mind of Christ, to think like he thinks. I pray that you would then change us through the way that we think, through the gospel, through your word, that you would change us to be men and women and children who exhibit these characteristics of true gospel partnerships, not so that we can boast in ourselves, not so that we can pat each other on the back, but so that your word will go forth with power and with hope and with joy. And the things that we see you do here in the book of Acts and the things that we see you do in the book of Philippians and have heard of you doing in the book of Philippians, that they would happen in our church, in our midst, and that you would be glorified through it, Lord. That you would save many. That you would grow us to become like Christ. That you would unify us in Christ. And that you would be glorified in it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.